Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Our next guest joined us soon after winning the Daytona 500 two years ago. He just won again on the NASCAR circuit. In our backyard, he has won the Coca-Cola 600 and the All-Star Race here at Charlotte Motor Speedway. He and the guys are headed to Watkins Glen and then Michigan and Bristol next month. They're at Pocono this weekend. Kurt Busch, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I appreciate it. It's great to have you. All right, coming down the stretch 10 days ago in Kentucky, it's you and younger brother Kyle. Were you thinking we're both going to end up in the wall and the guy in third place is going to take this race? Yeah, it, it crossed my mind, but <laughs> I was hopeful that uh, we, we would end up with the checkered flag and that's, that's what happened. And, you know, it's funny, like racing your little, bro little brother, it's like, What's he going to do? What kind of stunts is he going to pull? Like, to have those, that little flashback of brotherly love. And yet, I trusted him as a racer and as a true champion uh, as he is. And a tough competitor, he gave me that little bit of room on the outside. And that's exactly what I was hoping for. And I was able to uh, side draft him and get the lead coming down to the start-finish line. So it worked out perfect to get our Monster Energy Chevy in victory lane. Well, given that both of you guys are famous for, among other things, your competitive streak, that's like the nice part of the brotherly love story. I love how you added at the press conference, hey, my flight out of here was actually on Kyle's plane, and he left without me. How did that go? You know, it, it was one of those feelings like, yeah, I just stung him by getting the win, and, and not that I stole it away. Right. We raced each other hard for it, but it's like, Oh, yeah. I could definitely tell he was in no no way going to wait for me to celebrate and do Victory Lane and Media Center and photos and everything. And I, was, I had that feeling, like, yeah, he's going to ditch me. So I ended up on the last true plane out of there, got home around 4 in the morning. Kurt Busch is joining us on the David Glenn Show. He is seventh in the point standings right now, but the guy who drives the number one Chevy for Chip Ganassi Racing would love at the age of 40 to finish number one on the NASCAR circuit this year. I think I read, and I know you're a sports fan way beyond NASCAR, I think you read, or I read that you've talked about like how John Elway at a later stage of his career just wins the Super Bowl and like drops the mic. Uh, have you had like those dreams literally like while sleeping or are you just talking about such fantasies no I, I've, I've had you know a couple of dreams about it a couple of visions and the, the fun part that that i have the luxury of is a great sponsor like monster energy and we've had a, a ton of fun together we, we still continue to do great things i love representing their brand and being their guy in, in nascar and they they would be like in agreement with yeah you know what cool you won the championship you want to walk away like that absolutely and and you know they'd move on and, and do different advertising and jump on with another athlete or another driver so those those visions come from having such a cool sponsor and, and a great team owner like chip ganassi in some sports 40 is really really old in other sports 40 could be like an advantage. I imagine you're a smarter driver. Or you could give us a list of things that you think you're better at now. What is the hardest part of getting older, specifically as a NASCAR driver? Uh, it seems like it takes two cups of coffee for sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know what? No, I, I think in racing and, and golf, you know, those, those are, are numbers that are just statistics, so to speak, as far as age. Um, where, you know, our bodies go through a lot when we're driving the cars, but also, like you're saying, it's, it's an advantage to have the experience level and to have the different um, 
you know, races that I've been through and the different experiences to know what to do and when to do it. And so I'm thankful for that. And my body feels great. Still pushing hard. And, you know, the 25-year-olds are, are starting to win some races. But I was that guy then, and I'm this guy now. You, of course, have shared some of your stories about just, like, relationship stuff or off-the-track stuff and how you bounce back from that. What's your message to people who may be going through, like, a harder time in life right now? Because it feels like you persevering through various things gives you a chance to have, like, the best year of your entire career at 40 years old. Well, it's, it's, it's different perspectives, I believe, on where you think, things might be weighing down on your shoulders or things are just stacked up against you. And my wife is a very, very positive person. I, I love my wife, Ashley, and, and she's a, an athlete as well. She plays polo right. competitively with, out there with the boys and actually played with the Royal family this summer. And oh, cool. She's always so positive with things. And that's, that's rubbed off on me on, it doesn't matter if odds are stacked against you, find something, just find something positive out, out of things and take it run with it and know that, uh, that, you know, the sun's going to come up tomorrow and you can smile and you just got to change your perspective on things. Great advice. Kurt Busch, NASCAR star, is joining us on the David Glenn Show. You mentioned Ashley. I think you all have been together a few years now. Does an athlete have a better understanding of, you know, just what you deal with on a day-to-day basis because she, in a different sport, has at least been through the competitive part of things herself? Oh, absolutely. And then for me to respect her uh, preparation and process and the things that she needs to do, it uh, it, it was so clear and, and evident right away on the respect that we had for one another and, and the love that continues to grow. It it's a, it's a matter of appreciation, and we're our best support system for each other. And it, it, it's neat, you know, working out together. Uh, she's helped change some of my nutrition, and the, the respect of what I have to go through on race weekends is the same thing that I give to her when she's prepping for her polo event. I'm not sure where this stands because you're very busy with your day job, but many years ago you talked about being a baseball fan. I think your favorite team was the Chicago Cubs. Um, and I think you mentioned you hope to see as many MLB ballparks as you possibly could. Where's all that stand uh, this, this later part of your career? Yeah, you're, you're right. Uh, big baseball nut. Um, Mom thought racing was too dangerous when I was a kid, so she kept pushing a baseball glove and a baseball bat my way. Uh, but, yeah, I've, I've played a ton of baseball, been to all the stadiums now. Wow. Every single one. I'm a huge Chicago Cubs fan because my family's from Chicago. And any time that there's a new stadium built, um, my, my shtick is uh, any, if the Cubs are visiting that team, ah. that's the first game I want to try to get to at a new stadium. So you mentioned mom. How did, back in the day, how does she like? She clearly tried to steer her boys away from this NASCAR stuff. She clearly failed. She might have been great at a million other things. Uh, now I'm sure, or long ago, she digested it. But but how did it go back in the day when it became clear that that Kyle and Kurt were both going to end up trying to be uh, star race drivers? I think you know, with, with my dad being a racer, uh, that that helped a ton, obviously. Yeah. And- with, with the car in the garage and, and things to touch and to work on and to be part of dad's team, it, it all turned out where it was just age and, you know, the opportunity to race. And my first ever race, I, I finished fifth, and she's like, okay, all right, this is not so bad. My second race, I won, 
and we all looked at each other like, oh, my, this this could get serious. And then I racked my third, fourth, and fifth race in a row, and she's about ready to pull the plug. Uh, I, I couldn't imagine being a being a mom and watching watching um, you know her boys go out there and race. But you know what? She was right there along with Dad, helping us every bit of the way to, to enjoy it and to find success. And she was a great supporter of all of our racing. Kurt Busch joining us on the David Glenn Show. The guys are in Pocono this weekend, then Watkins Glen, Michigan, and Bristol in August. Of course, they always make their way back here to North Carolina. Charlotte Motor Speedway is a place that Kurt knows well and has thrived there at times. Um, at, at this stage of the season, what are your goals moving forward here as maybe you could have that Elway-style crowning achievement if uh, – if your car keeps up and uh, maybe you beat your brother to the line a couple more times. Yeah, I feel like our team is in a good spot. Uh, we're a winning group now from our win at Kentucky. Uh, we've had a very strong year with consistency, but it's now a matter of ramping it up. Uh, getting to all these tracks a second time, we have to execute stronger and, and quicker and produce better results. And with that, if we can ramp everything up, that means we're running top fives and we're going to win more often and we can have a run at this championship. So that's, that's our goal. And I, I, I couldn't wait for this point in the season. It's time now. Like getting all these tracks a second time with a first-year team, uh, that's, that's the key, I think, to, to having success here the second half. Last thing for Kurt Busch. I remember you also have Las Vegas connections. You mentioned Chicago and family there. Are, is that still on your radar? I mean, the NFL is coming to Vegas. It's a great boxing city and, and other sports. Where, where is that in the Bush family tree? Yeah, Vegas is my hometown. Yeah. I was born and raised out there. Uh, you know, all my family moved from Chicago out to Vegas. Okay. And, you know, with, with the amazing sports atmosphere out there now, it, it's insane. Uh, Vegas, you know, of course, has the NASCAR races there. Uh, with the Las Vegas Golden Knights, with the NHL team yeah. that went to the Stanley Cup Finals last year in their first year. Uh, the Raiders are on their way. And like you said, yeah, there's huge MMA fights, boxing. Uh, you know, the NBA All-Star Game was there. The Summer League's there. There's so much sports action going on. Uh, it's, it's an amazing town and a, and a fun place to visit. My hometown. And, you know, we'll be out there in a few weeks for uh, the first playoff race in NASCAR. So, lots of good stuff going on out there. Action is a great word. Kurt Busch is often right in the middle of the action. Congratulations on the win in Kentucky and your great season to this point. And thank you, as always, for your time on the David Glenn Show. Thank you. Appreciate it. You got it. Kurt Busch, that's the big brother. Kyle Busch, the younger brother, is actually first in the point standings as we speak. Kurt, seventh in the point standings as we speak. And it was Kurt edging Kyle at the start-finish line in Kentucky. That was, I think, 10 days ago right now. And a lot of folks were betting on both of the boys ending up in the wall, given that is a definitely intensely competitive brotherly love as it pours out on the NASCAR circuit. He's in contention, man. He's one of the old guys now, 40 years old, newly married. He married Ashley. It was about two years ago, professional polo player. He didn't mention she's also a model. Like, there's a combination, right? I play professional polo when I'm not uh, working on my modeling portfolio. Uh, a huge kind of ray of sunshine in Kurt's life as he described that there. Kurt Busch looking for the John Elway-style mic drop at this later stage of his career. 1-800-849-2761. That's the guy I'll always appreciate. He won the Daytona 500. Doesn't get much bigger than that. That was in 2017. He joined us 
shortly thereafter. So shout out to Darren Vaught, our producer, for arranging that two years ago and also setting us up with Kurt again. Coca-Cola 600 winner, all-star race winner here at Charlotte Motor Speedway. He joined us either before or after both of those as well. This, has been, this is a guy who's been at it for like 20 years. Not all of that on the Cup Series circuit, but as he said, his dad being a race car driver, his brother being a race car driver, this is a lifelong thing for him but it's certainly the twilight of his career as well. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. Glad you're with us on the David Glenn Show. Gary Player joining us. This morning I did 1,300 sit-ups and crunches. Wow. I pushed 300 pounds with my legs and I ran on the treadmill. You are one of the legends of golf and you've been an inspiration as a person as well. What a nice compliment and God bless America. You're listening to the David Glenn Show. to the David Glenn Show, we have a question of the day that allows for your statewide and beyond participation. It is also storytelling day as we gather around the world's largest sports radio campfire. Storytelling involves the Major League Baseball news that the Washington Nationals have joined the Chicago White Sox as the first teams in the history of that league to extend safety netting all the way from behind home plate to each of the two foul poles down the left and right field lines. That doesn't make it impossible to catch a foul ball, but it does make it more d difficult to catch a foul ball. The storytelling question of the day is this. Besides an autograph, and some fans that don't like these safety nets say that it bothers that part of their experience as a spectator as well. I just went to a game up in Philly over the summer. I often take my family there on my trips home up north. And sure enough, I saw Phillies fans and Mets fans getting pregame autographs right there down the first or third baseline. Now, you can work around nets, and in fact, some of these modern-day safety nets can be kind of drawn up at the last minute. So you can still have the face-to-face -face exchanges, maybe get your ball, your cap signed, whatever else, by your favorite player, and then it's on to the game with the nets up. Now, hockey fans went through this conversion, right? It's not a huge part of being a hockey fan. I might go home with a puck tonight. And with the nets that were not there when I was a little kid, remember you have glass behind the, the goals in the National Hockey League, but the nets nowadays prevent a lot more of the hardest shot pucks from injuring people, or we have had tragedies in hockey, just like we've had tragedies in Major League Baseball. It is a changing culture. Not all of the teams have gone as far as the White Sox and the Nationals have, but that baseball headline inspired the storytelling question. Besides an autograph, what is the best free souvenir you have ever taken home from a sporting event? More than half of our calls on that today are people who caught foul balls at baseball games. And that's trickier now, and I think this is only going to happen at more and more Major League ballparks, given some legal liabilities, but just what some would describe as more common-sense decisions about making things safer for more people, maybe even while complicating the viewing experience for some. Gradually remember, things like safety belts in cars happened. Long, long, long time ago, even before I was born, they were arguing over whether you should mandate safety belts in cars. And people were saying, well, come on, we don't want the government telling us what to do. If you don't put your seatbelt on and you're dead, it's your fault if you go flying through the window. Well, 
The debate is a little bit more complicated than that in baseball safety netting and in seat belts. And eventually our country came to the conclusion, well, we're tired of cleaning up all of your messes. And it impacts insurance and it impacts law enforcement and it impacts emergency responders. And we're sorry to take a little bite out of your American-style freedom. But, yeah, we're going to mandate seatbelts in these vehicles being built. And, yes, we're going to require you to wear those belts or you're going to put yourself at risk of fines. A similar debate has been unfolding in Major League Baseball. That led to our question of the day. Besides an autograph, what is the best free souvenir you've ever taken home from a sporting event? Clay in Washington is going to be next up on that. And if you're just joining us, since Tim Duncan, formerly of Wake Forest, is rejoining the NBA, now as an assistant coach for the San Antonio Spurs, we asked this question. And remember the phrase world famous is the key here. Who are the most world famous sports figures we can claim as representatives of our state, our North Carolina pro teams, or our North Carolina universities. And some people are fighting over the details on this, but everybody seems to agree that Michael Jordan is number one on that list. And everybody seems to, to agree that a lot of basketball players are dominating this list. Tim Duncan is on there. Steph Curry is in the top ten. A coach like Mike Krzyzewski, a golfer like Arnold Palmer, a soccer star like Mia Hamm, wrestler like Ric Flair. Well, we're claiming Andre the Giant, too, because later in his career, he used North Carolina as his home base. Metalark Lemon and Curly Neal from the old Harlem Globetrotters. Other superstars of North Carolina, there are some questions about how world famous they really are. Julius Peppers, Cam Newton, they're nationally famous. They're uber famous here in our state. Richard Petty, Dale Earnhardt Sr., etc. in NASCAR. Of course, they're super famous here. And, of course, they're very famous nationally. Are they people on the streets of Paris and London and Berlin and Beijing know who they are? Not as much. Some sports are more global. Other sports are more Americanized. And that's impacting our list today as well. Michael Jordan, Steph Curry, Mike Krzyzewski, Arnold Palmer, Mia Hamm, Ric Flair, Tim Duncan, Andre the Giant, and a cast of others. Jimmy V, Dean Smith, uh, and a lot of other names being thrown out there. I'm not sure who's going to make our final top ten. Clay is in Washington on our storytelling question of the day. Welcome to the program. Go right ahead. I short, shortly will give you some NBA, NFL updates and also some sad news from the boxing world that made me flash back to when a rising star named Ray Boom Boom Mancini beat a boxer named Duck Koo Kim. And I, boxing was a bigger deal back when I was a kid, and Mancini was a really up-and-coming, prominent figure. And he wins this boxing match, and the long story short in the aftermath is that Duck Koo Kim, who took a beating in that match, died. And I don't remember a lot of boxing deaths since then, but we have another one coming out of the weekend. They just announced that uh, a boxer from Russia named Max Dadashev died earlier today as a result of brain injuries he suffered during a loss on Friday night uh, at a bout up in Maryland at the MGM National Harbor. He was tw uh, National Harbor. He was 28 years old. It was really a scary scene. I saw it on ESPN where his corner is trying to talk him into throwing in the towel it's in the later rounds he has taken a beating already and whatever primitive instinct in this young man was saying no don't you dare throw in the towel 
And if you've ever heard the name Buddy McGirt, former boxer himself, he was the guy who eventually overruled his boxer. Like, this is basically not worth getting you killed. So, you know, to some, the ultimate disgrace is to throw in the towel. And sometimes it takes somebody in your corner to overrule you. So Buddy McGirt did overrule him, did throw in the towel. They did lose that bout as a result. But soon after that, it became clear that this guy was in seriously difficult uh, circumstances. He could barely handle himself getting out of the ring. Then he started vomiting. He was rushed to a hospital. And we just learned earlier today that he did die as a result of those injuries. He was a married guy with a son, originally from St. Petersburg, Russia, an up-and-coming boxer uh, from the age of 10 He was ranked in the national top 10 among all ESPN top prospects in the sport of boxing. Uh, He died earlier today at the age of 28. 1-800-849-2761. I'll get you those other updates shortly. Clay in Washington, you're next on the David Glenn Show. Hello, David. How are you doing? Doing great, man. What's your story? Good. Uh, Quickly, I'll first just say it's an Emmett Smith jersey was apparently the prize. But this was in the um, late 80s. They had just gotten rid of tearaway jerseys, but Florida still used them as practice jerseys in the mid to late 80s. Right. Of course, Spurrier got there. When we used to sell Cokes at the stadium, we'd be able to go into practices, and they'd always take their jerseys off and give them to us or anyone nearby. Now, there wasn't as many people in the late 80s looking for jerseys right. as there is now, so it's a lot less common. My prize, however, was a kicker Rob McGinty jersey. And we used to just love playing with them in the backyard because I think you remember the tearaways had, you know, holes in them. So if you got a yeah. finger in somebody's jersey, you could almost get them down. True. Yeah, and, and I remember before they outlawed them, you could actually try to tackle a guy in an actual game and end up with a handful of jersey and the guy just kept running. Right? The reason we liked them in the backyard game. Yeah, that works well. They didn't like them so much in college football and eventually did away with those things. Appreciate Clay contributing to today's program. Gary wants in on our other question of the day. If you're just joining us on the Timmy D question, who are those most world-famous sports figures that we can claim as representatives of the state of North Carolina or our pro teams or our universities timmy d of course a four-year player for the wake forest demon deacons before becoming that number one overall pick to the san antonio spurs in 1997 i read earlier today as we go to gary in kernersville lee is in greenville terry is in burlington dave odom the former timmy d coach at wake forest is going to join us a little bit later this hour darren gant third hour on all things nfl i read earlier today because of the tim duncan again returning to the spurs this time as an assistant coach under greg popovich do you know what player coach player head coach combination in the history of the nba has the most victories together would you have an educated guess on that, Darren Vaught? I mean, you're bringing it up today, so I would imagine Tim Duncan and Greg Popovich are maybe number one. They are number one. Yeah. Uh, Carl Malone and Jerry Sloan of the old Utah Jazz. John Stockton and Jerry Sloan, also both in the top four of those relationships. And the other one, Tony Parker, he of recent Charlotte Hornets vintage. Long time, of course, with the Spurs. He and Popovich are number two behind only Tim Duncan and Pop. 1,392 wins they shared as player and coach, Tim Duncan and Greg Popovich. Pop had a really funny quote related to uh, Tim Duncan's return to his staff. I think it was, it is, it is 
only fitting that after I served loyally for 19 years as Tim Duncan's assistant, that he returns the favor. Popovich has a great sense of humor, and he even manages to squeeze some of that into an official release from the San Antonio Spurs. Dave Odom on more of the career and life of an amazing person who, remember, was discovered as a basketball player after originally being a star swimmer in the Virgin Islands. He was not heavily recruited, which sounds strange for someone who turns out to be the number one overall pick in the NBA draft. There were schools like Hartford and Delaware among the finalists for Tim Duncan before he chose Wake Forest of the ACC and went on to become one of the greatest players in the history of that league. Gary is in Kernersville. He has a creative answer to the question of the day. We have a lot of good answers to the world-famous question, many of them from the basketball world. Even Meadowlark Lemon and Curly Neal from the old Harlem Globetrotters, they are North Carolinians. Uh, let's see, Gary, who came to your mind when we asked about the most world-famous sports figures from our state? A man that the world both loved and hated. Howard Cosell. He was born in Winston-Salem. Howard Cosell, yeah, born here, so that qualifies him. I guess he was mostly a lifelong New Yorker, so I don't know, like, was he two when he left Winston-Salem? I'm not sure, but Howard Cosell, definitely nationally famous, one of the most famous in American history, and because he did a lot of um, not just Monday night football, that's more of an America thing, but he, he did Olympics and other international sports, so I don't know how, you know, in today's world, Mike Tirico and Bob Costas, how world famous are they compared to being sort of nationally famous? The same, you know, different world back then. TV was not as prominent, but Howard Cosell was about as famous as it gets. And because of his birth here, we get to claim him as a North Carolinian. 1-800. Anybody have a good Howard Cosell impression? It's, it's one of the I can't all, say that I do. Oh, no. you're, you're an up-and-coming play-by-play man. Howard Cosell was one of the most imitated. Who would be the most imitated broadcasters of your lifetime? Dickie V? Oh, this is easy. Dickie V is one. But two, you work enough summers in baseball, and any press box you go to, everywhere, there's a guy with, quote, the best Harry Carey. Harry Carey. Anyway. That, that's true. Every, and none of them are good. If somebody did a Howard Cosell imitation, would you even know that it was Howard Cosell? Yeah, I could, de okay. I could detect a Howard Cosell. So he's Cosell. on your radar as a 20 or 30-something young broadcaster. Yeah. Even though he's he hasn't – gosh. No, I, I don't – He's from my childhood. Right. And, and actually, he was well into his career in my childhood – but one of the biggest names in broadcast, sports broadcasting in the 1970s and I guess the 1980s. Uh, yeah, that's a, good, that's a good blast for the past. Well done there. Dave Odom is joining us on the other side to talk Tim Duncan. Yes, the former Wake Forest head coach, the former South Carolina head coach, the former ECU coach, and an all-around great guy, one of our favorites. How did Tim Duncan go from a swimmer in the Virgin Islands to one of the greatest power forwards in the history of basketball. It's a story worth revisiting, as Timmy D is one of the most world-famous sports figures ever to come through the great state of North Carolina. Through the eyes of his former college coach, Dave Odom, we'll share more of those stories next on The David Glenn Show. Kurt Busch is joining us, 38-year-old champion of the Daytona 500. Well, I went out with Gronk last night after uh, after we won the race. Did you really? Was, it was fun. Got about an hour's sleep. I asked him, I go, hey, when do you have to report to training camp? He goes, July. I said, well, we can't be friends because i got to <laughs> go back to racing. 
Stay with us on The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to The David Glenn Show. When I tried to write a feature story on Tim Duncan years ago for the ACC Sports Journal, he became one of the hardest to track down people I had ever profiled. And I'm like, Timmy D, this is a really positive article. There's nothing controversial about it. I leaned on guys like Dave Odom, his former coach at Wake Forest, some of his teammates, some who worked with him on charitable endeavors, and then eventually Timmy D broke down and said, all right, I'll give you a couple fresh quotes if you'll mostly leave me alone. He is an understated personality. He was always professional and polite, even as he said, I don't need another nice article written about me. Dave Odom knows this part of of Timmy D's personality. Well, he's the guy who recruited him from the Virgin Islands to Wake Forest University. Coach Odom, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? It's unusual I get a chance to talk to you in the offseason like this. You're my al- pleasure, my friend. You're my always pleasure. on our mind, Coach. It's funny. I just spoke with Jim Grobe recently, one of my oh, favorite uh, Wake Forest football coaches. So you guys yeah. are always on our hearts and minds, If even if uh, we, we go a little while without chatting. Yeah, well, we're thick as thieves, you know. Uh, those of us that have kind of got, uh, faded into the uh, stardust someplace, you know. But Jim Grove and I uh, uh, coached a limited amount of years together up there. I can't even remember, one or two. and uh, But we became close and fast friends and remain so today. Does not surprise me. You guys have a lot of similarities in all the right ways. All right, you helped groom Tim Duncan as a young player. I never envisioned him as a coach. I don't know if he, until recently, ever envisioned himself as a coach. What do you make of this news that he's rejoining the San Antonio Spurs, but this time as an assistant coach to Greg Popovich? Well, what I make of it is uh, Greg Popovich uh, would have been a great college recruiter. Uh, He knows how to press the right buttons and put the right amount of pressure in the places that hurt the most. Uh, all of that means that uh, Tim uh, has, you know, as a player and then post Wake Forest, never had any inkling at all or any desire at all to coach. Um, he, um, he is a family man. He's got kids that he looks after. He has um, a number of businesses in the uh, San Antonio area. He still remains very strong in interest in uh, what's going on in St. Croix, uh, his, um, his native island, and uh, he just got a lot on his plate. I talked to him two weeks ago about a couple of things, and at the end uh, he said, Coach, uh, you know, Coach Popovich has an opening on his staff, and he's asked me to take it. I said, what? Mm. <laughs> and uh, he said, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to do it. <laughs> I said, if he's offered you, you will do it. You will because <laughs> of your respect for him. And uh, you, you, Tim, Tim loves being around the game, but he liked going and coming the last two years uh, as he desired, not having to be there right. every single day, uh, just going in and out and practicing with the team some and working with the big guys or whatever. And, you know, right now, um, I, I think uh, Greg Popovich went to him and just said, look, give me one year. I've got a spot on my staff. I don't want to hire anybody 
I, I don't know. Uh, just give me that one year. And uh, so not not that that's all Tim's going to do because I don't know that. I don't even think he does. But uh, I do think he'll make a big uh, he'll make a big impact on uh, the Spurs team this coming year. Coach, even as we all celebrate Tim Duncan as one of the greatest power forwards in the history of basketball, I've gotten to know and admire and respect some some other parts of him just as a person, and you know him much better than we do as a person. He went through a divorce six years ago, which could sour a lot of people on life. And we also learned because he had to sue his own he described him as a one-time very close friend and financial advisor. A guy named Charles Banks ended up being accused of defrauding him out of $24 million worth of investments. Have, I mean, how did you see Timmy D remain such like a, a positive ray of sunshine personality, even as understated as his personality is, when those are two pretty big life events that I think would have made many human beings not nearly as sunny. No, you're exactly right. And uh, they, they were impactful events. Uh, they could sour a lesser person on life for sure. Uh, the divorce thing was just absolutely heartbreaking, uh, to say the least. And, uh, but uh, he came out of that young with it. Uh, he told me that uh, it was uh, the hardest thing he ever had to do, which is certainly understandable. And then when he went through the uh, the legal issue with his quote unquote uh, early agent there, um, you know, it just uh, it would shake your confidence in the morality of anybody that you deal with. I mean, it just would. And uh, you know, he um, but fortunately he had. Um, enough chutzpah to hang in there and see the situation through. Um, and he's come out the other end a better person even than he was when he went into it, got started with it. Dave Odom is joining us on the David Glenn Show. Greg Popovich told a story that when he knew the Spurs were considering Timmy D, he visited him in the Virgin Islands to make sure that the Spurs wanted to use that number one overall pick back in 1997. And he said he had an initial impression that was different than the one he left the Virgin Islands with. He said at the very beginning, he couldn't figure out what Tim Duncan's demeanor was reflecting because he was so quiet and, and almost like glaring out into space that Popovich said he wasn't even sure that Tim Duncan was like listening to him at the beginning. And he's like, what's up with this guy? And only after several days did they have the kind of back and forth where he realized that Tim was just listening and being quiet and letting others do most of the talking. But the whole time he was a sponge and he was digesting it all. And then only over time, was he kind of more comfortable to, to just contribute to the conversation? How, how did you deal with an even younger version of Tim Duncan when you recruited him for Wake out of the Virgin Islands? Well, uh, you know, those kind of things work two ways. Uh, Greg Popovich, I assume, went down to the Virgin Islands to find out what kind of person Tim Duncan is. The reverse of that is true as well. Tim welcomed him with the idea, I want to find out what kind of coach he is, yeah. what kind of person he is. You know, so it was a, uh, you know, people do things in different ways. They do the 
they do the same thing in different ways. And that's really what was going on, the dynamic uh, there. Uh, Greg actually called me before he left to go down there. He said, did you make the trip down when you were recruiting him? I sure sure did. And uh, he said, tell me about it. And, and I, you know, I know time's an issue here, but, uh, you know, basically what happened, I was there on a Sunday. Uh, his, his dad was cooking uh, dinner for both of us. And uh, it was uh, in October, and the NFL was uh, going strong at the time. Uh, he was a huge Chicago Bear fan. Uh, and so when I started talking with him, next thing I knew, he had the TV on, and, and uh, the Chicago Bears had a night, Sunday night game. And I could see then that he was more interested in watching the Bears than he was listening to anything about uh, Wake Forest. And so uh, instead of trying to wedge my way into his interest, uh, I sat down right beside the TV. Honestly, I sat right on the floor beside the TV so that as he looked at TV, he also had to take one eye and look at me and hopefully listen with the other ear. And his dad came in there and says, Coach, what are you doing? <laughs> and I, I told him, he said, Timmy, be kind and listen. Coach has come a long way. Turn the TV off. <laughs> so, so he did. And uh, we, had a, we had a great evening, and uh, the Bears won. And he's always given me credit for that one. Coach, you once told us a story where after a difficult loss, I think it was to UMass during your time with Tim Duncan at Wake Forest, he actually came into an otherwise empty locker room and asked you, do you still love me, Coach? Yeah. Like, did, did, was he serious about that question? Was he kind of looking for, you know, just reinforcement as a young man, as, as if your love of him depended on, you know, whether you won or lost the previous game? Well, you know, it, that was um, his sophomore year, and we were playing at UMass, John Calipari coaching. Um, it, it was a, uh, I guess, the first really big game uh, for him on national TV, national TV where people were trying to measure what kind of player he really was. Uh, and in all honesty, um, the game – was a kind of a rough shot game. Nobody in the game really played very well. Uh, UMass beat us. Let's see who who was the big kid they had on their team. Marcus uh, Camby. Yeah, Marcus yeah. Camby. He was probably uh, a level better that night than Tim. Um, and Calipari was probably a level better than me that night. I mean, we just had one of those nights where we weren't up to par. And we lose the game, um, I don't know, eight points maybe, something like that. And um, as I said, it was like the first big game for him yeah. on the national scale. Uh, scale. And so uh, I, I, I just felt that I needed to be with my team and Tim in particular uh, until, you know, make sure we got out of there okay because Sports Illustrated and everybody else was there. So I sat, sat, sat in the locker room, gradually emptied. And then finally it was down uh, to the Sports Illustrated reporter, Tim, myself. He asked his final question. Tim was polite. The guy leaves, and um, there's almost dead silence. 
And sometimes, you know, when you're in a situation, it seems like an eternity probably was a minute, yeah, maybe 45 seconds. And he just, he raised his head and he looked at me and says, do you still love me? Mm. <laughs> and I, I asked him the question, same question in return. I said, you still love me <laughs> because I didn't give you the game plan that we needed to win this game. Uh, the good thing is we went on and played the season. Uh, we had a great year. Uh, it was the beginning of great things for us. And uh, the next year, Marcus Camby and you, uh, you, uh, UMass came to Joel and we cut them pretty good. Dave Odom on the David Glenn Show. Really cool that all those years later, when Timmy D was being honored in San Antonio, Coach Odom was part of those festivities and even got to speak to the assembled crowd there. I only have about a minute for this, but as Timmy D is joining your profession, right, when we hear the nickname the Big Fundamental, right, that reflects just how well he knows not only the big things where we see his big talent, but the little things and the footwork and the mechanics and all that stuff, uh, do, do you, can you foresee him communicating what he learned so well you know, to other big guys and now other NBA players? Well, you can only teach those that want to be taught. Yeah. Um, he certainly knows uh, big man play. He understands the totality of the game. I mean, he, he understands how, you know, perimeter players mesh with big guys and vice versa. So, I mean, all of that is within his grasp uh, to teach. Um, the, the, the thing that, you know, that he's going to run into is he, you know, he's always been revered as a player and a person. Um, when he begins coaching, he'll be on a different plateau, yeah. if you will, on a different stage. And the, uh, the guys that he's going to be coaching, um, they're not going to be looking at him the same way. Yeah. And so he's going to have to feel his way through that next stage, uh, that next uh, chapter, if you will. Yep. That's, that's Dave Odom. Coach, thank you, as always, for the time on another Tim Duncan headline. We'll be knocking on your door again uh, come basketball season. Okay, look forward to it, David. You got Have it. Da summer. Darren Gant on the NFL in about 10 minutes. Glad you're with us on the David Glenn Show. Mike Lupica, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department, and I said, look at the political scene and, and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see when people say, oh, stick to sports. Who passed that law? You're listening to the David Glenn Show. More NBA players are withdrawing from Team USA in this summer's competition. More on that later. Darren Gant on all things NFL. Most teams are already back. The Panthers will be soon. Darren Gant from NBC Sports on all things football next on the David Glenn Show. Kevin Harlan is joining us. It was a boring game, and the guy ran out right through the formation as if he was a wide receiver <laughs> to be a part of the play. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. You always think of calling that dramatic last-second buzzer-beating shot or a touchdown pass or, or something more historic. This is the David Glenn Show.